Hello, you are listening to Beyond the Briefcase, a law school podcast with Sarah and Meg. This week, we bring a guest to talk about their experiences navigating creative and innovative areas of the legal profession. Also, listeners, law school application season is wrapping up, so hopefully this episode will bring you some clarity about your own process and choosing the right law school for you. We are extremely excited to be welcoming Amy Terhar, who's an accomplished lawyer, and I was lucky enough she was also my mentor while I was working as a compliance officer. She graduated from Western University, which is in uh, London, Ontario. She completed her Bachelor of Laws and also her Master of Law. Uh, She's worked at law firms. She started her own firm. She contributed to developing law programs at Osgoode Hall Law School in Toronto. And now she works as in-house counsel for a network of higher education institutions under Gus Canada. So she has very much a diverse law career. So she can provide great advice for people who want to pursue law. Thank you so much for joining us, Amy. Such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. So we wanted to start off a bit with um, your the areas that you practice. So what fields of law did you actually practice and what drew you to those specific fields? Like, did you know that you wanted to go into those areas as soon as you started law school or did it kind of develop over time? Yeah, thanks, Sarah, for the question. I, I think um, primarily I went into corporate commercial law and that was influenced you know, by several key factors. I'd always been fascinated by the world of business and how it operates, the intricate web of transactions, negotiations, and legal frameworks that underpin business intrigued me. Um, And I saw corporate law as a a way to be at the forefront of that dynamic environment. Importantly, I thought it was a very collegial and cooperative area, as opposed to participating in the adversarial process of litigation business was cooperative and collegial and we were all, I mean, my impression was that we would all operate to work to a common goal and a common outcome. And that remains true today. And that was one of the key reasons that influenced uh, my decision to practice uh, corporate and commercial law. And so when it comes, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say what really stood out to me was the opportunity to work closely with businesses of all sizes. So you you have startup to multinational corporations, you know, and corporate law allows you to be a strategic partner to those organizations, um, helping navigate legal complexities and all kinds of complexities, to to be honest, that they face in their day-to-day operations, whether, you know, mergers and acquisitions or contract negotiations or regulatory compliance. I just really found that the breadth of legal issues in that field was really intellectually stimulating. And tell us more about that in terms of like the different types of businesses that you were mentioning. Do you feel like there was a difference in terms of the way they worked with you? Like in maybe the level of kind of personal interaction, the types of law that you were typically doing, like specifics like if they were mergers or what kinds of problems they would bring to you to solve? That's a great question. Um, problem solving is, well, I mean, there's all kinds of problems <laughs> in, <laughs> that you're solving. 
um, in your day-to-day -day practice. And corporate law is all about problem solving. Uh, businesses really encounter a wide range of challenges and the legal issues are really at the forefront of those challenges. So being a corporate lawyer really means constantly finding innovative solutions to complex problems. So it's a little bit by being a legal strategist. Um, you know, and I really enjoy the intellectual challenge of dissecting issues and crafting legal strategies that help solve those problems and in doing so help the business thrive. And Amy, when you when you set out uh, to apply and go to law school, I mean, can you take us through that process a little bit? Did you also really envision yourself going into corporate even from that stage as well? I had, um, I knew, I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my law degree when I first applied to law school. I knew that it um, undergrad was really the means to an end to some sort of professional path. What really inspired me was the business aspect. And I felt that by going to law school, I could um, use the skills that I would learn either to practice law or to participate more directly in business. And so that is really what drew me initially to law school. And from there, I knew that I wanted to start my own law firm, that I wanted to be an operator um, and go through that process rather than fitting into a firm. So there was a lot of unanswered questions and flexibility in the options that I was pursuing because I wasn't really, uh, I didn't have a defined um, goal or end um, career path. I wanted it to remain flexible and intentionally did so, understanding that I could use both my interests and that skill set um, uh, in whatever area that I felt that I would be drawn to. Um, I think what initially drew me to study uh, was a combination of factors. So not just a sense of justice, that's sort of a typical answer, you know, I've always had a strong sense, <laughs> a strong sense of justice, but, um, and I do believe in the power of the legal system to make a positive impact on society, of course, by ensuring that everyone's legal rights are upheld and injustices are addressed, especially that becomes, <laughs> I feel like more and more relevant every day. But at that time, um, it was really that law as a field, as a type of social science, if you want to say, offers just an incredible intellectual challenge. So it involves that complex problem solving, critical thinking, and a deep understanding of the intricacies of the legal system. And um, it, the law provides just that stimulation in an abundance, whether you're working on a high stakes litigation case or tackling intricate corporate law matters that need sharp analytical skills and the ability to think creatively is also ever present. So um, it was not just that, but the diversity of career options um, that was really appealing. It's a field that you're not limited to just one path. There are numerous specialties and career paths available, uh, ranging litigation from litigation to criminal law, to corporate law, environmental law, and so much more. Um, and I felt that that variety allows you and allowed me to explore different facets of the legal world and find. Uh, a niche that aligns with your interests and passions. Well, so 
actually, Amy, I was just going to say, you know, in an episode um, that we just recorded, listeners, to take you behind the curtain, I'm not actually sure if that's going to come out before or after this one, but we spoke a lot about how um, Sarah and I get to talk with our friends who are, you know, out outside of law school, not interested in going into law whatsoever, but we get to talk with them about legal issues, and then when they bring up their experiences in their professions, their careers, it's like an incredible connection. It really is. Uh, just to demonstrate, I think, what you're saying, that kind of um, multiplicity of the field. Um, but my actual next question for you is, did you, you know, if um, during your LLB, uh, during your legal, uh, th- that initial legal experience, you thought, okay, law is something that is highly intellectually stimulating. Is that what drew you to the LLM, to the to the master's program? Oh, absolutely. And at that point in time, I had co-founded a couple of companies and I wasn't actually actively practicing law at the time. But I love the law. And I wanted to stay sharp and to build my, ed- continue building my education. Um, and that's what and I also had real questions before I started some um, businesses in my own legal practice. I was constantly asking myself the question, what's the distinction between business advice and legal advice? It was a very real and relevant question, and I didn't feel like I had an adequate answer. And so I asked that question uh, in my thesis and conducted an empirical survey of the profession, both in-house corporate counsel and lawyers in private practice about what their understanding of that distinction was and tried to sort of create some sort of definition around how that distinction can be made, whether it's in the courts, <laughs> whether it's through our, our, our insurer um, or within the law society's uh, professional uh, regulations. And so there's a lot of variation between how those different entities answer the question, and I don't think it's still not very well defined. And so there is this porous boundary, and that was really what drove my interest in uh, continuing my studies in an LLM. That's really interesting. I feel like, like you said, it's definitely not a question that's been answered. Just when I was working in compliance and working with you, there was always, I feel like, a hesitancy as to which questions should be directed to who. So when do we reach out to the legal department? When is compliance sufficient? When do we not need either of them and we should be able to resolve it on our own with you know, um, the executives? So I, that's a really interesting question. Now I'm curious, I wanna read your, your, the paper that you, oh, well, your paper you for the masters. I think, uh, I think after the interview, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go look it up because uh, it's still really, really relevant. Absolutely, and we're insured to provide uh, legal advice under our uh, professional <laughs> legal insurance, um, but not business advice. So you want to make sure that you're operating within the scope of your professional responsibility and within the scope of your insurance policy um, as well, and, and providing your your clients the best um, counsel that's possible. But oftentimes, a lot of the questions are business questions. That's incredible. I, I asked the, you um, that question about the LLM, Amy, because I um, did a couple of uh, masters myself. Like I, I, I did some graduate work uh, before coming to law school, and uh, my work was in literary studies. So it was oh, fantastic. 
Thank you. <laughs> but it was quite literally the opposite, maybe, of practical knowledge. Uh, it was in the 18th century <laughs> as well, right? So definitely oh, removed. <laughs> but, you know, it. I always love to ask because, you know, very thankfully, Sarah and I, we've gotten to have um, quite a few guests who have done LLMs. Um, so I'm always interested in, one, what, um, what drew... Uh, folks back to back to studying law but in a more uh, you know academic also experimental uh, kind of way that writing some kind of thesis or some kind of longer term uh, academic project uh, would how that would benefit their kinds of um, intellectual but also professional aspirations so I I just had to ask you a question like that I'm always so curious (laughs) (laughs) it's so much fun right and I think that's the there's a joy in the discovering new, new theory or new data, new insight. Exactly. And I feel like legal academia is not something that's explored a lot in the sense that, you know, students go do their JD and they're automatically kind of gearing towards, I want to go into practice, which, which I do understand with the debt that we accumulate, maybe going into practice for a little bit is the smart thing to do before pursuing any academic ventures. Um, but I feel like it's, anyways, I'm super interested in, in research and all that. So um, I love hearing about, you know, your your interests and your specific question and, and also how it carries on, right? And it's interesting to know that it's, it's kind of such a convoluted <laughs> subject that there's still no right answer. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. There's no black and white. <laughs> but that's exactly. how you know it's a great research question and maybe even the better topic for a book project, <laughs> right? When yes. it cannot oh, be simply answered. <laughs> absolutely. But, but you know, Amy, actually our next question, and uh, we're, we're kind of cheating because you, you, you kind of alluded to this in a joke before we started recording, but you know, you've done this LLB, you've done this LLM. So clearly you've learned lots, you experienced lots in, in, you know, different kinds of law school environments, I suppose. Now that you're, now that you're practicing, now that you're out, what, you know, what are, what are some things you wish you had learned? Everything. (laughs) I would love to go back to law school and start all over. (laughs) Absolutely. There's a a good example is I didn't really take a great legal research methods course until my graduate law degree. And that is something that I I think I understand that you did a legal method before your (laughs) first year, I would love to go back and take another course on on legal research methodology. It's extraordinarily important. It's a, um, and having the right prof to um, explain that is, um, and and teach and and give you that wisdom. I also wish I had more of a statistics background to be able to interpret um, some findings, especially for empirical studies. I would love to go back and to delve deeper into specific subject um, areas that I find interesting now, but that I didn't have time uh, in law school to 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 dive more deeply into, just because of the time constraints, um, and explore different areas um, of law that I didn't necessarily want to practice, but I wanted to learn about to have that 
in my arsenal. Do you know what's really interesting is that so at the University of Toronto, um, we have a two week legal methods course before uh, 1L, before the formal 1L starts. But we also have in our first semester a legal research and writing class. And I, I take it seriously because I find these things interesting. I come from a writing background. I come from a reading background. So, so I, I, I enjoy it. But there are these jokes sometimes, sometimes even from professors, <laughs> even from the teachers, right, that say, oh, you know, just just come to class. Just, um, you know, it all seems complicated now, but don't worry. There's going to be a house style. There's going to be once you get once you get into practice, once you get to work, they're going to train you on actually like what they want. Um, so don't worry at all. Just uh, yeah, you can take some notes. Just just skim the readings. Just come to class. But um, this is just, in other words, we're teaching it because we have to teach it, right? <laughs> um, Absolutely. But it seems like from your experience, um, you know, maybe maybe you know this is for law students. Maybe you should be paying attention in your LRW class. Absolutely, <laughs> it's critically important. <laughs> it's, it's so important. And it's interesting, too, that you're saying that there, you would have wanted to explore other areas of law, because even when it comes to choosing electives later on, when I consulted with some graduates um, and some lawyers at, at law firms that I was interested in, one of the main things that I was told was, do not pick a bunch of different areas of law for your electives and then kind of make it seem like you don't know what you want to do or I also heard that doing that may make it seem like you're trying to find the easy courses um, and, you know, to focus strictly on, let's say, if you want to go into corporate law, try to choose mainly corporate law courses. So I'm assuming it was similar when you were in law school, too, and that's kind of what you did and you would have wanted to be able to branch out more. Absolutely. I, I had a strong focus in business law. Western law was uh, well known for its business program at the time. Um, and so I restricted my electives, uh, into those areas and enjoyed them thoroughly. So I, I wouldn't have sacrificed them for something else. Um, but definitely I would have, and even another year in law school, I would have been quite happy to, <laughs> to go through the summer, um, or, or just continue on through a master's or other, or graduate degree. What you're saying is also critically important as you commence your career. And this is um, a fundamental aspect where I feel I missed a lot of formal legal training, where your professors are reiterating to, that, to you that you will learn, you will be trained, but you can't take that for granted. Depending on the career path you choose, I chose to start my own uh, practice immediately which meant that I did not benefit from, you know, five years of training in a firm. And that was a big challenge. And so you can assume that someone's going to train you, but don't take it for granted because depending on your career path, it's, it's available if you're going to follow a traditional route. Or you want to go to Bay Street, or you want to go to Toronto, you want to article and practice in a firm, and that's your career path. Uh, you're lucky if you get good training. You you must not take that as a given. Uh, and for the people that you can find to help train you, you're only going to become a better lawyer. And that I feel like there's so many mentors that 
are underappreciated for the time that they invest. And what's missing, I, I, I constantly see this not just in the legal field, but in other areas, uh, professional areas, that this matching of mentors with trainees is a critically important step. And in law, of course, we try to do that through articles in part. Um, nonetheless, it's, it's really critically important. I think that's really sound advice and actually quite um, not different, but I think it departs well from what we've the advice so far that we've gotten from professors and upper year students and folks who are articling or, or you know, just a couple years out of law school, because it honestly, before having this conversation, my impression was just you know what, obviously I'm going to do really well in law school because that's the kind of person I am, I, you know, <laughs> overachiever. But uh, I was like, you know what, uh, I'm just going to get all of the tips and tricks no matter where I go. And wherever I go, I'm going to get some kind of mentor. That's great. Um, that's, to be honest, sometimes I think the kind of image that they, they sell you is don't worry about it. Like the moment you get somewhere, they're going to throw that all on you and you're, you'll, be, you'll be good to go. That, that pipeline will have been, uh, will have been built. But it does sound like, you know, well, it sounds a lot like uh, not only the soft skills, but all of these, you know, formal, comprehensive uh, kinds of skills. Though those are things to be important uh, to to take to value as well and to train yourself um, in. Not just the not just reading a whole bunch of cases and memorizing a whole bunch of uh, rules and doctrine. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, Sarah set a great example when she first approached me and, and indicated she was interested in, in law. You know, she reached out to me, she took the initiative, and that's what you need to do. And I think that's so commendable. It's so fantastic because there are a lot of people who are happy to help and happy to invest their time and happy to share their experience. But not everybody understands that you want that, that, that they want you to help and so if you can take that first step that's going to set you uh, set you apart uh, I think for sure and in, in no matter what you choose to to do yeah and that's something that we've noticed even just with the podcast I was surprised by how many people immediately were like yes we want to help out we would like to be a guest like I was expecting more projections and or people not answering just because the field of law it's busy <laughs> no yeah like and I also can, we're, we're just getting started are working right? a lot yeah we're just getting started as well oh, exactly okay. i uh i was given a very good piece of advice by ruby rosenblatt who is um a great great lawyer this is many years ago and he advised me uh, at the time if you want to get something done, ask a busy person. <laughs> and it's absolutely true. <laughs> busy people get things done. I love that. It's like you have so many things on your plate that you're just so good at managing your time. You're like, oh, I can, I can, I can fit that in. <laughs> I've seen it time and time again. It's proven true. <laughs> so, and so you mentioned a bit kind of the difficulties that you encountered um, starting your own law firm. So I'd like to delve more into that. Um, what does the process look like or what did it look like for you specifically? And if you have any tips even for, for people who are interested in starting their firm, because I'm sure there's some other students 
or some of our listeners that may have that as as a goal, whether it be directly after law school or maybe a bit la later down the line? Yeah, thanks. That's a great question. Um, and it, it involves a significant undertaking that requires, you know, a lot of careful planning, uh, dedication, and legal expertise. And so the first tip that I would say um, is to gain experience, gain that training before starting your, your firm. Um, it's really essential to have a few years of legal experience under your belt. Uh, that experience helps you uh, not just practice, but build a network, develop your legal skills, and gain insight into the specific area of law that you want to practice. So that is the uh, big takeaway. I didn't do enough of that, and it took me longer to get up to speed um, with the rest of my colleagues. You would need essentially to develop a business plan just like any other business. A law firm needs a solid business plan and it's really interesting these days. Um, the business model sort of being turned upside down. Um, so that's really critically important. It's not super easy um, to, to make yourself sustainable at the very early stages. You should really just define the firm's mission, vision, goals, determine the target prep, the target market, the practice areas and the services that you're going to offer um, and create really those detailed financial plans, including startup costs, ongoing expenses and revenue projections. And after you've done sort of that you know, groundwork developing the business plan, I would choose a niche. So specialize in a specific area of law that can help your firm stand out and attract clients um, who need expertise in that particular field. At the time, um, the legislation had just changed to enable dentists at the time to incorporate their professional corporations. And so that's how I, I just launched at a dental trade show and started with that niche market. And that from there, it expanded out into different types of professionals that needed a similar, similar types of services. Um, you know, and then there's the fun part, creating your brand and developing your brand identity and um, sort of just all the marketing and promotion and the staffing and developing your client base, which is something that I found that was like super, super fun. Um, but you're always torn in these paths between, uh, your, your time is torn between business development and practicing. So I'm only making money when I'm actually sitting at my desk billing. So <laughs> that, that's the challenging part. You can't be in two places at once. Um, and then, of course, continuous learning. And I think that's been a theme throughout, right? You want to maintain your, your, your up to date in all of the areas and that you have a process for ensuring that you're getting, I mean, we're so lucky today with all the large firms send out great client updates. And I, I rely on those all the time, in addition to formal continuing legal education programs and, you know, off teaching and um, create still designing different uh, variations of curriculum. Amy, I have a follow-up question to that. So some of the other guests that we um, have interviewed, you know, uh, if they go into some of the larger uh, firms or they go into government, one thing they say they really like uh, about starting off in, in, you know, in those kinds of spaces, whether it's articling or, or out of articling, is they really like being surrounded by people. And they often say, oh, you know, it's really quite nice because it's a collegial experience, right? Uh, maybe similar to law school, maybe similar to, you know, even before that. But I maybe assume that starting your own law firm, maybe it's different from that, right? 
for sure. Um, I mean, you still, it is, but it depends on how you structure your business development. There's a lot of solitary work sitting at your desk, but if you're on the biz dev side, you're always interfacing. You're always putting yourself out there, putting yourself on panels, establishing your um, core area of expertise and yourself as a thought leader in the space. And that's all very um, public facing and requires a lot of um, a, a lot of commitment to just putting yourself out there and getting yourself known as a subject matter expert. Do you have any tips you would give for some people who maybe are a bit more shy or would be anxious about doing that, but still want to kind of go on to the business development side because that building an image and everything like that does require a lot of active kind of public speaking potentially and just marketing yourself. Do you have any tips for doing that successfully? Yeah, I mean, we're so lucky, uh, right in the age of social media. <laughs> it's fairly easy to establish your brand and disseminate thought leadership pieces, be it newsletters. I used to write a, you know, a short little newsletter and send that out in certain in, in my niche area. And um, people really appreciate that. Or doing what you're doing, podcasts. Um, if you're uncomfortable in front of a large crowd, you know, there's a lot of written work uh, through newsletters, through client updates that is really effective. Absolutely. But you do need to um, get out. It, it really is heavily dependent on where is your target market and how are you going to reach them? That's very fair. That is very fair. I, you know, I always expected going into law school that everyone was going to be uh, really extroverted and obnoxious <laughs> and overly assertive. But, you know, I'll, I'll actually, I'll, I'll take those words back because for the most part, and, you know, I think University of Toronto, it does draw in a more um, uh, scholarship first kind of crowd. You know, I think a lot of people are interested in actually pursuing LLMs or even SJDs, um, who, the, you know, people who attend U of T. So, I think there's a reason. <laughs> there's a reason for that too. But, but actually, I think a lot of students so far, are like you know, I I experienced some trouble with public speaking, and I actually prefer to be more of the research and sit down rather than you know facing facing strangers and facing clients. It's it's quite interesting. It's very interesting. <laughs> it is, <laughs> and that's a great, and that's part of the beauty of it. You have such a diversity in interests and skill sets and passions and it's uh really adds to that dynamic vibrant environment that you're in and it's unique in law school because as soon as you start to focus more on where it is that you're going right then you you have less of that depth and breadth of um different skill sets and, and personalities, really. And so now that we've touched a bit on your work in your own law firm, which is incredible still, <laughs> I'm, I'm very impressed with all of the work you've done. Uh, what contributed to your switch to uh, in-house counsel? Yeah, I think one of the, I love being close 
to the business side of law and feeling like I'm invested in helping influence those decisions. Uh, in private practice, it's a lot of, um, you know, specific focused questions or problems or transactions that you're that you're solving. But in-house, you're much closer to the business teams. You work with them very closely to help negotiate um, contracts, facilitate an end goal and help interpret really between what's required from a legal perspective and what the business team is telling you. So that generalist perspective is um, really interesting to me that you get this wide range of issues and problems that you can help add value to solving those problems. And I felt much closer to that in-house. And Amy, for you working in um, serving as in-house counsel for higher education institutions, I know that you said that, you know, when you wanted to, if you could go back to law school, if you could, you know, reinvigorate the, a formal legal education, you would really want to focus on statistics. You would really want to focus on legal methods. Have you uh, felt like, uh, I suppose, more how would I put this, like kind of blatant uh, subjects in education? So like, for instance, like curriculum building or like pedagogy. Um, have you found that you've had to familiarize yourself uh, and, and, and develop a kind of expertise in that in order to serve as an as a in-house counsel? Yeah, I, thankfully I have a lot of experience. So right after my master's, um, I did teach at Western, a course, Privacy, Secrecy, and Censorship in the Information Age. And so really learned a lot by doing um, and then I started doing some curriculum design and development work for Osgood Professional Development and really um, got a thorough grounding in how to design programs, courses, master's programs really effectively um, and went through that process. And so that has all um, definitely helped me in my current role in, in education and understanding what the requirements are. I'm more on the compliance side now than <laughs> designing the curriculum um, for those institutions, but it definitely informs and colors the way that I approach my daily work. And speaking of that curriculum building, um, for anyone who would be interested in pursuing, pursuing sorry, a route like that, um, building their own programs or courses or even becoming a professor, um, what tips would you have and what would you say is required? For example, do students absolutely need a master's degree to be able to do that or are there other ways that they can um, get into? Oh, I mean, a lot of adjuncts don't have master's degrees, um, so they, but they have a deep uh, practical experience in their in their own practice that they bring to bear in teaching uh, like one-off courses uh, at law school. And of course, I mean, the, becoming a professor, you generally, well, clearly you need a strong foundation in the law and that involves obtaining your juris doctor and in many cases further legal ed education and LLM is really the terminal teaching a degree in law, but um, other advanced, if you're getting your PhD, for example, it's probably recommended to do that before you start teaching. Um, it, 
and for uh, I think legal practice experience only helps. Um, and then, of course, having a solid foundation and research and scholarship. So you're expect if you if you're looking the professorship route, you're expected to engage, you know, in legal research and public scholarly work. So building a robust publication record is important for securing faculty positions for sure. Teaching experience isn't always a requirement, but having some teaching experience, such as a teaching assistant or an adjunct professor, can be really um, beneficial if you're applying to law faculty positions. Certainly networking, and this has been another theme throughout, um, whether you're developing your own practice or following a unique career path or just being in law school, establishing connections with legal academic with the legal academic community, attending conferences, workshops, legal education events that can really help you learn about job opportunities and collaborate with other scholars because you might not be aware of those opportunities. And for curriculum development, um, of course, for curriculum building, you really need to have a solid understanding of the law and legal education methods, um, and that can come from prior teaching roles or collaborating with other educators. Um, and then, of course, having the academic credentials to, um, to to secure your position. I mean, it's a lengthy process, for example, if you're applying for faculty positions at law schools, it um, uh, can be a very competitive and lengthy process um, and, and takes a lot of time. And then, of course, your postgrad work. So if you're if you're complete, if your PhD is complete, um, you know, some law schools really value that postgrad work. So if you could do a clerkship or practice in a prestigious firm or work as a judicial law clerk, that can really enhance your qualifications. Um, and regardless of whatever it is you're doing, you need to have subject matter expertise if you're planning to specialize in a specific or particular area of law. So it's really important to establish yourself as an expert in that field through um, your, your, both your scholarship and your work experience. Thank you. That's really, really helpful. I personally am asking because I was interested in in maybe teaching eventually, not necessarily becoming a full fledged professor, but maybe an adjunct professor or anything like that. I've always liked kind of that side of things. Um, I mean, my only exposure so far has been as a teaching assistant, but still. Oh, that's <laughs> I, fantastic. That's, yeah, so yeah, fantastic. I actually uh, worked as a teaching assistant in psychology, biology, and statistics uh, during my oh, undergrad. Yeah, fantastic. And for me, I, I do not mind this question at all because um, I, no, I was, uh, you know, the reason why I was in academia was to hopefully go into a tenure track, right? So that was the kind oh, of initial a... professional um, side of things. And uh, I was very thankful at Columbia to have, you know, designed and taught my own course and everything um, to freshman students, oh, which is lovely, which is, I, and I, I, I do, it was a lot of fun and I think I learned a lot from it, but you know, uh, one, I, I always like to ask uh, folks who have experience or any kind of desire to go into teaching, um, academic teaching and law, because it there are stark differences <laughs> from what I've gathered from wanting to do that in the, the legal field versus, I'll just speak for, you know, literary studies or the humanities at the moment. Um, big difference. It, it seems there are more job opportunities. Let's put it like that uh, for, for folks who are interested in, um, in teaching um, in law. So, so I think listeners, you know, 
if you are like me coming from an experience where that is something you've always wanted to do or um, something that you were kind of considering but not quite sure uh, because you're in university and you're taking classes and your professors are like, oh my goodness, the job market is so terrible. Um, it does seem like to me that there is actually a bit of a difference between uh, the job market in academic law and uh, the job market in other academic fields. So so perhaps if you are interested, you can talk to some uh, folks who, who, who have more direct experience in that. It's good to know. That's really interesting, Meg. And you probably, I mean, I think the biggest thing about teaching is you learn more than your students are learning <laughs> and putting anything that you do together. So I think it's a great way of learning. <laughs> I think so too. And definitely to be more organized, you know, <laughs> all the soft skills, definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> and so to build a bit on, on that experience that you have in education, what advice would you have for people who are interested in pursuing law one day. So we're talking any type of law school hopeful, whether they be in high school or in their undergraduate studies. Follow your passion. Do what you love and follow that area that invigorates you. What is it that you can't stop yourself from doing? And do that because they'll tell you a lot about your natural ability, about your natural passion that is free from the lens of what's expected of you. We have a very well-defined <laughs> career path um, that is, seems to get a, a, a lot of push in law school. Try not to feel pressure from it. Enjoy the process and take every opportunity that you can to learn about what it is that you're passionate about because you will be successful when you have that passion about what it is that you're learning what it is that you're doing or what projects you want to you know get a team around you to to make possible or to make happen absolutely because it's only going to benefit you in whatever it is that you do. And life is not linear. <laughs> so don't stress about the small stuff. I love that. I think it's really important also for even U of T students in, in general, just because I feel like there's this idea that you go to U of T, you're going into corporate law. And I mean, if you want to go into cor corporate law, by all means, go into corporate law. I'm not saying that it's a bad thing to pursue. Um, you can definitely be passionate about that. Um, but I feel like it's important for students to know that they don't have to be forced into kind of that uh, route and that it's important that it's something that they actually want to do. And like you said, as a lawyer, I think regardless, you're going to be successful. So there's no point in kind of creating these obstacles for yourself. And we're hoping actually with the podcast that, that we can help students see that a little bit because we're trying to present different areas of law that they can explore and maybe that they never thought of. Like there's a lot that I've been learning myself, areas that I never would have considered that I didn't know you could actually specialize in or, or practice in, right? And um, I feel like there's so many more opportunities than what sometimes the schools or even 
career services honestly want to present. So I think your your advice is really really important. Wonderful. Yes, and and also I mean I'll I'll reiterate this. You know the podcast the podcast has been great not just for others but for me and Sarah <laughs> because you know we we get to talk to people who are experts in like legal tech people who are experts in um, alternative protein regulation um it's incredible people who have just started articling and who are really interested in criminal law uh people who are experts in um, animal law it's it's incredible it just it really you know that's why we want to do these guest interviews because um you know me and sarah were just starting out like right right from the beginning so there's very little advice that we can give truly (laughs) but it's it's a great opportunity i think to really showcase that um people who have gone to the schools that we've gone to um are pursuing uh really stimulating and innovative careers all around the world so (laughs) that really sky's the limit and that's the beautiful thing about it all it's just such a, a wonderful uh, field of study to prepare you for whatever it is that you want to do in the future. Exactly. And when you were talking about linearity, I think you're right in the sense that not only does your, I guess, study path, if I want to put it that way, your education, it doesn't have to be linear for you to be successful. Um, I myself kind of... <laughs> went a little bit everywhere before realizing I wanted to go into law. But uh, what I like is that it's the same for your career. You can start somewhere and and then head somewhere else. And I feel like you really are a great representation of that with everything that you've been able to accomplish throughout your career. And it's because you were so open and so flexible and wanted to try these new things, right? And then that's how you were able to get all of these opportunities. So I think that it's important to remember that and to not try to stay in one specific path when maybe there's some doors opening for you. Um, so. I think you just provided a lot of very important advice despite your <laughs> five minutes ago <laughs> denying that you were able to do so. <laughs> well, it's all based on your experience. So it's, it's a bit of a cheat, you know, it's, summar- it's summarizing what you were able to teach us in our interview. This is where we should end the interview <laughs> with this great compliment yes. on our ability to give advice. <laughs> oh my god. Let's, well, I, uh... let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up here. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much, Amy, for being on our show. Thank you so much. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Briefcase. Thank you so much, Amy, for your wonderful insight in starting your own law firm, in working in in-house counsel, in getting involved in the educational side of law, curriculum curriculum building, um, pursuing that kind of route, as well as really just sharing with us what it means to be flexible in your career, as well as to constantly be interested in the intellectual side of the legal profession. I think that's really important for our listeners at any stage of their career to, to really keep in mind, internalize, and to, to pursue. So next week's episode, uh, listeners, that's just going to be the two of us again. And Sarah and I are going to be chatting about our mental health experiences in law school, as well as um, the, just how we've navigated before going, as well as now during the program. 
If you've liked this episode, please rate, review, subscribe, share with your friends. Check out our Instagram at Beyond the Briefcase Podcast to keep in touch as well as up to date on all on all of our episodes. Uh, thank you, Adam, our technical producer, and of course, thank you, listeners. I've been Meg. I've been Sarah. Bye. <laughs>